Hello and welcome to CJSW Age-Friendly Programming, broadcasting on 90.9 FM in Calgary and on Treaty 7 and Region 3 territory. Our program is called Age to Perfection and Old Enough to Know Better. I'm Linda Rainey. And I'm Kathy Burrell. Hello everyone, it's Kathy Burrell. On today's episode of Age to Perfection and Old Enough to Know Better, I'll interview Ramey Little, co-author of the book Driving Miss Norma, One Family's Journey Saying Yes to Living. Linda lent me the book and I loved it. For any of you out there who loves a road trip with a twist, this book is for you. Here's a short excerpt from The Dust Jacket. When Miss Norma was diagnosed with uterine cancer, she was advised to undergo surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. But instead of confining herself to a hospital bed for what could be her last stay, Miss Norma, newly widowed after nearly seven decades of marriage, rose to her full height of five feet and told the doctor, I'm 90 years old and I'm hitting the road. And so Miss Norma took off on an unforgettable around-the-country journey in a 36-foot motorhome with her retired son, Tim, his wife, Ramey, and their dog, Ringo. To talk about this remarkable book, A Year on the Road Journey with her 90-year-old mother-in-law, Norma, I'd like to welcome Ramey Little to the program via telephone from the east coast of the U.S. Welcome to the program, Ramey. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Um, Ramey, can I start by asking you how many years it's been since Miss Norma passed? And can you tell me the most vivid memory you have of your epic trip together? Sure. That's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> the first part is easy. She, she died in September of 2016, so we're coming up on three years. Um, as far as a vivid memory, I, I really think I can play back the entire year-long trip in movie form in in my head. Um, so, so I have a lot of vivid memories of what we experienced with her on the road from the moment that she said that she'd like to come along through a process of getting rid of uh, medication side effects and really capturing the the imagination of the wor- world by storm with, with um, the way that she was handling the last part of her life. So I know that you were nowhere near 90 years old, but can you tell me um, how the time you spent with your mother-in-law affected the way you currently feel about growing older? Yeah, absolutely. I You know, I've always kind of lived outside the box for better or for worse, um, both my husband and I um, have lived kind of an alternative. We've made decisions differently than many of our peers. Um, and so our time with, with Norma reinforced a lot of those those experiences or what we had hoped for, really. And, and the biggest lesson probably is it's never too late to experience joy, um, to meaningfully connect with loved ones, and it's never too late to change your story. I mean, Norma was, she's a quintessential Midwestern housewife from Michigan. Um, she followed all the rules that society put down for her with no indication that there, that there was ever anything grand left unexpressed. She seemed perfectly content with her life um, when when she joined us. Um, but our adventure with her gave us all permission to really express ourselves and push the envelope about what what it means to live fully. Um, I, we we tell a story often when we talk to folks about our book is that Norma reminded us of 
we lived in Arizona for a while in the desert southwest, and there's a plant down there that's um, a relative of the agave plant. It's called a century plant, and it it, it lives for about a century. Um, it it is perfectly symmetrical in its form. It kind of looks like an aloe plant, and and it lives low to the ground. And then in its last season of life, it shoots a stalk up in the air about 14 feet tall, blooms the most glorious flowers you could imagine, and then dies. And in that process, of course, spreads its seeds um, wherever the wind blows to um, to inspire other plants to then live that, that century. And, and that's um, what Norma did in that last year of life that inspired us to say, you know, there's, there's a reason, um, that, that she took this journey with us and that we can really feel like we can live fully to the very last moment and that our life will still have meaning at that moment. Mm -hmm. It's such a great lesson and something that I don't think she sought to teach directly. She was a woman, as you describe in the book, of very little words. But, you know, when she did speak, she, you know, and her actions almost spoke more than she did. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in more ways than one, I, I joked with her a lot. We we ended up developing this beautiful relationship. And, and I said, Norma, if you were alive or um, at this age, during the time of silent films, you would have been a superstar um, because because the way that she lived her life, um, really virtually wordless, uh, was was so expressive and um, and she taught us a lot without saying a lot. Well, and those pictures in the middle of the book uh, are just priceless. I mean, she just looks like such a, a hoot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have thousands more. Oh, my goodness. She was a hoot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So was this your first experience, Ramey, really, of, of spending a lot of time around a person that was in their 80s or their 90s? Um, I, I would say yes. When I was much younger, my, my grandfather or grandmother lived with us for a while. But I was a, I was a teenager, and, and my experience was very different. Um, and and it's, it's not been part of my career path. And it's not been part of my family to be uh, really connected with that generation. Um, and then, you know, for this trip, we were we were together and probably within ten feet of each other for fourteen months. Um, so it was a, a pretty um, uh, intensive and intense experience sometimes to to spend that much time with with someone who was ninety years old. Exactly. So I'm curious how your incredibly rich year on the road with Miss Norma led you to writing a book about your experience. Had you or Tim ever written before? (laughs) (laughs) Not much. I wrote a travel blog and Tim was a, his major in college was journalism and he was a newspaper editor for a while. We certainly were not book authors and we certainly did not set out with any intention to, to write a book. We were, um, very busy and enjoying our time with Norma and and trying to stay uh, focused on that. Our goal was to make her last however long, um, her last part of her life be as rich um, and as filled with love and joy as possible. And a book was not part of that plan. Um, but about six weeks, I'm sorry, six months into our journey, the the story went viral on the internet. 
and and at that point we went from you know just kind of our friends and family following along I made the page so my mom would know where we were to um, thousands and actually millions of, of people following our every move and so in the midst of that we got lots of feedback and lots of messages from people oh you should write a book this is a great book there needs to be a book and we kept saying we're not writing a book we're busy and this is not what we want to do. And it was kind of a chance encounter um, that, that we kind of got convinced that the story is important enough that it needs to be shared beyond um, the level that we could share it in uh, on a Facebook page. Um, and, and so we were convinced to, to write this book. They, and we were told, you know, Hey, we'll get you a ghostwriter and you know, it'll be fine. The story just needs to be told. And within a week of working with a ghostwriter, it occurred to us very clearly that we needed to tell our own story. So we separated ways from that um, that writer, and um, and spent time with a, with a kind of a, a mentor that helped us write the book. But but every word of it is is Tim and I telling our story. And that was really important to us. Yeah, I really like the way that uh, your voice and Tim's voice are separated in the book. You know, it's it's definitely your own perspective and and how you're reacting to what's going on. And uh, yeah, it it just shows. You know, there's no right way or wrong way to do life. You just do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> truly. So, um, how many uh, do you keep track of? Like, how many books have been sold worldwide, or you know, like, were you on a bestseller list, or you know, any of that? Is does that mean anything to you? We um, we don't know enough about the business. I'm sure there's a way to keep track, but we haven't figured it out quite yet. I'm embarrassed to say. Um, we we do know that we're published now in 11 languages around the world. Um, and, and so that's very exciting. Most recently was Portuguese and Chinese. Um, and, and so that, that's kind of a cool thing. We also, we've gotten some high praise from, from like industry publications, Publishers Weekly gave us a star, um, and the librarians, um, there's a, there's an association of librarians in the United States that, that, um, have made sure that our book is in every library in the United States. And so there's, there's some, some high praise. Um, there's also a movie that's in the works based on the book. And so that's, that's another piece of, of um, where the story is going and the potential that it has to, to, um, to spread around a little bit. So my absolute favorite part of the book was your description of Norma's last days, not as something tragic, but as a natural mm-hmm. slowing down process. The book describes an evening ritual the three or the four of you shared. I don't want to leave Ringo out of the picture. As it became clear that Norma was not going to live much longer, you wrote about a spontaneous night of singing that became a sort of communication between the two of you. Can you tell me what that experience was like for you? I can tell you that I'm tearing up right now. The, the, that, that chapter was written live. Um, so she, she, we were on a deadline at that point, and, and she was actively dying. And so the, 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 the chapter that you speak of was um, so real for, for me and um, the the ritual that we came up with started several months before we we 
um, had an opportunity to go to a Native American ceremony in New Mexico. And um, we were really inspired by the music and the ritual that the culture, um, that we were shown with that culture, and realized um, that evening when we got back to the motorhome that we we really didn't have that in our family. And so we 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 created it very spontaneously. Um, we started singing and dancing um, and kind of drumming on our legs and things every night when we walked uh, Norma to bed, which was, you know, 12 feet back into the, the back bedroom of the motorhome. And so we did that for the rest of, of the trip. Every single night, we came up with some kind of um, song or dance or rhythm that that we would all kind of march back to bed or dance back to bed with her. And um, it was her, the, the piece of the book that you're re- referencing, um, we had we had tucked her into bed for the last time. We, she Her legs no longer worked. Um, and we knew that this was these were her last days, um, and she was having these little the I'm not sure what they're called the little mini strokes, and so things were being removed little by little um, from her body. And the other thing that had been removed was her her ability to speak. And so it was a pretty heavy time for us. Um, we got her tucked into bed, and but but there was no. There was no um, marching happening from the front of the motorhome to the back of the motorhome because she was already there. And so we hadn't sung, we hadn't danced, we hadn't done any of those things. Tim and I were real sad, and we we sat with her for a while and and said our goodnights and our potentially goodbyes. We thought maybe she would die overnight. And um, and then we back went back up to the front of the motorhome and just with a really heavy heart. And shortly later, I can't remember um, how much later, all of a sudden we heard her kind of crying out and we didn't know what she was saying and we couldn't figure it out. I, I asked her a thousand questions. Did she want water? Did she did she need to go to the bathroom? Did she, you know, all these things trying and trying and trying to figure out what was going on and she couldn't communicate. And so it really became kind of a joke because I have the world's worst singing voice and nobody likes to hear me sing and I love to sing um so so the joke was I know Norma I know what you want you want me to sing thinking she's just going to roll her eyes and and finally um fall fall to sleep and she nodded her head yes she said yeah I want you to sing so I sang and I sang for a long time and was getting tired my voice was getting gravelly and I thought she's she's got to be done with this by now she had you know, she had her morphine medication and everything, and I couldn't believe she was still awake. I said, do you want me to keep singing? And she said, yep. She nodded her head. Yeah, I do. I sang some more. And then for the next three nights, I sang to her every night until until she died. Wow, that is just, it's such a great, um, uh, like, she must have just known she wanted some more. She didn't want to leave before she had more joy, you know, and for, despite your singing voice, she must have just loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it certainly became a a joke in the family of, oh boy, here's Ramey singing again, you know. That's right, that's funny. (laughs) And so it did, it it was, it was a joyful time for sure. And and she was teaching us to the last moment, teaching us. Don't sit there and wallow and be sad. Let's let's sing. Right. 
So I've been speaking with Ramey Little, co-author of the book Driving Miss Norma, One Family's Journey Saying Yes to Living. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today, Ramey. Can you tell our listeners how they can get a copy of your book? I believe the book is available as a physical book as well as an audio book, and Driving Miss Norma has a Facebook page and a website. Um, can you tell us um, where you think in up here in Calgary, Canada, we would find your book? Sure. So, so probably the best bet is go to missnorma.com, and then then there's links to to all the different ways that you can purchase the book, whatever language. Um, and there is a kind of a UK version and a US version of English. So, you know, we use our vowels a little differently. And um, so um, you could start there. It's also available in public libraries. Um, and, you know, if, if you Google Driving Miss Norma, you can, you can find it online very easily. Okay, great. Well, if you're ever up in Calgary, we hope you come for a visit. And uh, best of luck with the movie and uh, more um, countries that are going to publish the story because it's a wonderful one. Thank you so much for being with us today, Ramey. Thank you, Kathy. It's been a pleasure. Hello, Linda Rainey here. I'd like to share with you, our listeners, some recent news about Canada's first dementia strategy. On June 17th, 2019, Minister of Health, the Honourable Jeanette Pettipaw-Taylor, announced the Government of Canada's first dementia strategy. Dementia currently affects more than 419,000 Canadians aged 65 and older, and two-thirds of those are women. The dementia strategy is titled, Together We Aspire. The national strategy focuses on preventing dementia with advanced therapies, and hopefully finding a cure. The 2019 budget proposed $50 million to the strategy to facilitate optimal quality of life and support for caregivers. The minister also announced funding for Phase 2 of the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging, which is a national platform for dementia research. By all orders of government working together, prevention, treatment, and better quality of life for those living with dementia are the goals. Family members and caregivers will have access to the resources and support they need. The Alzheimer's Society will continue with their implementation plan throughout Alberta and the Northwest Territories. They provide support groups, learning series, public education, community referrals, and consultations. The Government of Canada recognizes that dementia is one of the greatest health challenges of our time and reaffirms the need for ongoing research and innovative solutions to improve the ways in which we prevent, diagnose, and treat dementia. You may be shocked to know that nine seniors are diagnosed with dementia every hour in Canada. After the age of 65, the risk of being diagnosed doubles every five years. Dementia is a term used to describe symptoms affecting the brain, including cognitive decline, such as memory awareness of a person, place or time, language, basic math skills, judgment, and planning. Dementia affects mood and behavior. It is a progressive condition that interferes with the ability to maintain activities of daily living, 
such as eating, bathing, toileting, and dressing. Dementia affects families, caregivers, and communities. In years gone by, the elderly were described as senile or forgetful. The term dementia was not as familiar as it is today. The impact of dementia on the health care system is very significant. Total annual health care costs and out-of-pocket caregiver costs for Canadians with dementia will double from $8 million in 2011 to $16 billion by the year 2031. The Government of Canada recognizes that Indigenous communities and individuals have distinct dementia experiences and needs. Engagement with Indigenous organizations, communities and governments will continue and be part of the national strategy. There is evidence that healthy living is key to preventing dementia. Many of us will encounter dementia at some point in our lives, whether it be a family member, a neighbor, or a friend, or it might be ourselves. Aging does not cause dementia, but advanced age increases the risk. The National Dementia Strategy also recognizes the need to eliminate the stigma and isolation people living with dementia often face because they fear negative reactions from friends and family. Kent Hare, MP for City Centre, recently announced the Government of Canada is taking the next steps towards a national pharmacare program to negotiate better drug prices on behalf of all Canadians because seniors should not have to choose between paying for a prescription or buying groceries. The Calgary Fire Department recently joined the Brenda Strafford Foundation's Dementia-Friendly Community Pilot Project, which involved a year-long plan to help raise awareness and understanding of dementia. Online dementia training was provided to more than 1,400 Calgary Fire Department personnel. The Coach Hill Station in southwest Calgary received an intense training program and less than a month later, the crew responded to the call of an elderly man who wandered from his home and got lost in a wooded ravine. His family were very relieved and thankful to the Calgary Fire Department for their compassionate assistance. The Brenda Strafford Foundation has partnered with local community members and organizations to ensure the local approach is more sensitive and understanding in building communities to support aging in place. In Calgary, there are more than 13,000 people living with Alzheimer's or related dementias. Let's all show a little more kindness and compassion to those around us who may be developing some form of dementia as they age. Here are a few suggestions for exercising your brain and have fun at the same time. Learn how to do yoga or tai chi. Try solving crossword puzzles or jigsaw puzzles. Play board games. Take up dancing, line dancing, tap dancing, ballet dancing, whatever kind of dancing turns you on. Learn a new language or learn how to play a musical instrument. Solve math problems in your head. That's a tough one. Solve riddles or word problems. Pretend you're the conductor of an orchestra. Get your arms moving and groove to the music you're creating. Research shows that even a short period of physical activity can result in immediate improvements in our memory function. Just a little bit of exercise, even short walking breaks throughout the day, 
can go a long way towards improving cognition and memory. Another great physical exercise is swimming because it's kind to your joints. It improves your flexibility because the water supports the body, so only a fraction of your weight is supported by your limbs, especially your knees. Swimming helps you lose weight. And did you know that swimming only half an hour burns 250 calories? You may add 10 years to your life by swimming three times a week. Research shows swimmers live longer than walkers or runners. Swimming improves your heart rate to move more oxygen to your muscles. And swimmers have more lean muscle mass at any age because swimming engages your whole body. Swimming is a great resistance exercise for your core, your hips, your glutes, your arms, and your shoulders. But remember, chlorine in pools can affect your lungs and your breathing, so look for the saltwater pools whenever you can. Another interesting fact is that swimming in cold water burns more calories because your body is trying to keep itself warm. Leading a sedentary lifestyle is not only boring, but also increases your risk of chronic disease. Exercising helps you retain physical and mental function as you age. Lately, I've been thinking about food and nutrition and the differences between eating as a younger person and eating as an older person. My aging in-laws are fading away, right before my eyes. Every time I see them, they seem to be getting smaller and smaller. I fully expect to visit them one day and see nothing but two piles of clothes on the floor. Visits are always centered around a meal, lunch at a restaurant of their choice, sometimes a Chinese food buffet, sometimes a chain restaurant that offers choices for seniors, of course. Conversations around food have changed as well. For 20-plus years now, my husband's folks have declared that three meals a day is no longer the norm, like when they were working. Three meals have shrunk to two, and now a month ago, at a lunch celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary, two meals have shrunk to one a day. We used to laugh at my father-in-law's pot belly. He used to grab it with both hands and let us know that the baby was due any day now. My mother-in-law used to wear a size 14, petite. I know that because my husband and I always used to buy her a good church outfit on her birthday or at Christmas. She wore one of those outfits last time I saw her, and the outfit looked so big on her I was worried her pants might just slide off as she made her way up to the buffet. It's hard for me to relate not to being hungry or not wanting to eat. I have spent the last five years trying to lose 10 pounds. I enjoy cooking and eating. However, I am 56. I'm not 86. And I'm married to a man who eats whatever I cook and usually compliments me on the day's culinary creation. Neither of my in-laws were taught how to cook, and in that regard, I don't know if a love of food was instilled in them when they were younger. At this stage in their lives, I do notice that they like to eat with family and, more importantly, that they seem to feel better mentally and physically after a meal. It's interesting to me how much emphasis is put on medication as people age. I completely understand that conditions need to be managed, and both my in-laws do have health conditions, and sometimes that requires medication. What I don't understand is how doctors and pharmacists don't regularly refer older adults to registered dietitians or nutritionists, even as they watch them get smaller and smaller. 
I recently read a report called Healthy Eating for Seniors, Canada's Food Guide. It's available online if you care to search for it. The very first paragraph states that healthy eating is a key part of aging well. It is a way for you to stay healthy and strong, which is important to maintain your independence and quality of life. Now, doesn't that sound just completely practical? However, one of the points the report doesn't address is the intangible effect that eating has on how we feel and the memories triggered by certain smells and tastes. Too many of us never get to eat a tomato right off the vine, warmed by the sun, or really, really good ice cream, the kind you have to drive 10 miles to find. When the olders in your life consider the cost of food today as ridiculously expensive compared to 20 or 30 years ago, and they decide not to cook because eating a bag of potato chips is much simpler, it may be time for the youngers to lend a hand and have a conversation about what kind of foods bring joy to these older adults in our life. We probably need to sit with them. We need to eat with them. And it's simple. Long ago, they fed us. And so now, we feed them. That's it for our program today. Thank you so much for listening to CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Our program is Age to Perfection and Old Enough to Know Better. 